Hello everyone and welcome to the debug log number 27. This episode is dedicated to debugging. It's something that we do every day as programmers. It's where the debug log, our podcast, got its name. Because you see that message a lot when you're working with Unity. Um, we go over what a bug is, what basic debugging is. And then we go over some technical tools that will help you during that process. And we talk about general best practices and methodologies. Kind of a mindset that you can have that will help you debug faster and debug more efficiently. So without further ado, I give you the debug log, episode 27. Singcaster, check, check, check. Purple, the Cuban rainbow has arrived. Please, Ovina, behave. Cuban rainbow versus Ovina, dawn of justice. Rambo. Rambo? Okay. They had such a good idea. You're listening to The Debug Log, a podcast about Unity game development. My name's Andrew Curry. I'm Obino Parham. I'm Zach Schneider. I'm Ryan Kilgore. And I'm Eduardo Castillo-Fernandez. All right, and welcome tonight. Uh, last episode we talked about, I hope you heard it and listened to it, it's our GDC wrap-up, which we had fun doing, talking about all the VR headset stuff came out. I think it was recording this Oculus came out today, so excited to uh, check that out. But tonight... It's not a news episode. It's going to be a heavy-hitting, deep-learning episode. Uh, this topic is one of the ones that I, it takes our, our show takes its namesake from, but it's also is the thing that every programmer should do or, every pro- or has to do and is going to do no matter what. And tonight we're talking about debugging basics, basically, right? Um, talk about We're going to talk about what a bug is, what is debugging, um, some tools and tricks and stuff, especially uh, geared towards game development, because debugging and stuff in different domains from web development to systems development to networking stuff could be different. But the game development has unique challenges and, you know, sets of things you have to go through and actually stuff that could pop up that's hard to test and hard to find. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the tools and some of the stuff that make your life easier that you should do, Zach. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh and we're going to talk about some best practices and basically more like a methodology, that you, a mindset and uh, things that you need to go through in your head and almost like a checklist as you can form as you go through books and help make the process much easier. Speaking from people that have wasted countless hours debugging things in the past, these things are going to help you save time and finish your game. And always we'll have Game of the Week at the end. So to start off the show, guys, what is a bug? What is a bug? I don't know. I don't usually think of bug. Is. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, I usually think of a bug as just an unexpected behavior in the program. It could be, you know, a crash. It could be a logical failure. It's, you know, something that was not intended. Um, that's just it at a high level, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that usually something wrong with – it's an error that happened in the program, basically, right? And that – for whatever reason you have to go and fix it, but it's, it's causing the thing to not work like the way you intended. Like you said, um, I have oh. a little, we, yeah, real quick, I have you're, a little, you're, you're dying for telling this story about the first ever. Well, bug. we talked about, well, this is our, not our first time <laughs> recording this episode because, but I, we, we, we like a lot of our episodes. This happens all the time, but we mentioned a story that I, we all, that I learned in at school, computer science school about in like 1947. And it's actually Grace Hopper. And they're working on the military, 
on these big mainframe, these big, you know, room size computers. And they documented the first ever bug because it was actually a moth that actually they got trapped in the between the relays in the machine and they they took it out and put it in the little journal. So I guess that's where the namesake is the official first bug that they had to squash. So that's where that comes from. But now we just it refers to anything, any kind of pain in the ass things that go wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not moths still. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a problem. So, so, so now if you have a bunch of bugs and bugs are going to happen no matter what, I put a big quick note here that nine times out of 10, the bug is probably you mistyped something. <laughs> you misspelled something. That's usually my experience. Maybe I'm just a bad typist. I don't know. But <laughs> whoa, you know, that was, yeah. I don't know if you're agreeing with me here. <laughs> Calling him out. <laughs> so, so since we have a bunch of bugs and that's going to be part of the process, debugging, which is the, what we're talking about tonight, is the essential uh, activity that you need to do to rid your program with all the bugs, squash them all. Yes. And so, so we have the idea of there's an idea of debugging as an art and debugging as a science. You want to explain that, Obina? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, when I look at debugging, I feel like see, actually I kind of equated debugging in the global scope is also like software development. There's, there's like an art form, and then there's the science to you know programming or software development or game development. But since we're specifically talking about debugging, I feel like it's the, it works the exact same way. There's like certain methodologies and principles that you do follow to like help in debugging, but there's also like. Um, I'd almost call it like an inherent, you know, feel that you have when you when you approach debugging. Like um, people would approach it different ways. I, um, it's like I don't know. It's like for me, like sometimes when I look at a certain piece of code, or I think one of the questions I ask is, um, which is what I got from one of this book, the book called "The Art of Debugging," uh, and one of their main principles was like the art or the principle of like confirmation, basically asking yourself like, does you know, is what, like Ryan said earlier, is what I'm expecting to happen in my code, like, happening? Like, is what my expected result actually the result I'm getting? And, like, if it is, then I can move forward. Or if it, and if it's not, then that's, like, the start of, you know, this uh, start of, like, where you would start researching your bug or something or debugging that well, code. Well, that, you have to be careful with that. It's not only if you're, the, the thing that you want to happen is happening, but also that you're not adding more things to your uh, to your program, or that you're not modifying anything else that doesn't need to be modified, because then uh, other problems can come up later on. So yes, yeah, so you're talking speaking more towards side effects, I guess. It's like, yeah, my code executed yeah. correctly, but in in turn, this other like mal behavior showed up in some other system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like we'll get to later. It's like sort of regression testing like your systems. That way you make sure when you think you made that correct change, did it not adversely affect something else? Right. Yeah, yeah I remember in, what – oh, give me a second, Andrew. Uh, I remember when I was in school and uh, we were talking about uh, – it was a class about um, algorithms and stuff like that. And you come – you are sure that your algorithm is doing the things right when it does what you think – what you want it to do when it doesn't do anything else and when it doesn't do anything less is exactly that. Okay, cool. Go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing less than perfection. <laughs> <laughs> and so debugging is basically, yes, yeah, like you said, and there's different methodologies and tools and everything. That's what we're kind of talking about tonight. It's the big discussion because you, the way I think we can split this discussion up is, 
um, talk about there's technical tools and stuff that we use all the time. And then there's like Abina said, there's a lot of X practices we can kind of go through at the end of just that's the art the part of, you know, the debugging where it's like, you know, the confirmation thing or different, you know, one thing at a time, those things are, they're not just, you, you apply those in the tools, but they're also about a mindset and they require patience and certain things. So they're definitely more important than also any tool, you know, because some, they used to not have tools and they only have those <laughs> methods. Um, so before we go into that, what are some general types of bugs? So somebody, I mean, this is also to the beginners out there. They're just starting and they're just thinking it goes wrong. But there's there's also different types of bugs, right? Yeah, I think you mentioned one to start, Andrew, and that's like just the syntax errors. And they, well, right. I guess to back it up is, you know, from the very beginners or for the high level, there's like two types of exceptions or bugs that you could, could uh, you know, run into when you're developing a program. And that's compile time errors and exceptions versus runtime exceptions. Uh, and the, the compile time is what, like Andrew said, is like the syntax errors, the spelling errors, you know, the misnamings, the, I don't know, what else is there? Like, um, there's a lot of When you miss a, a semicolon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah the more sim- syntax or type checking. Uh, There's stuff that you find before you run the program. Before you run the program. It's compiling, right, yeah. Yeah, and, that's that's- the run- and the runtime is other things like, you know, null references or division by zero or you're running out of memory. So all those types of things are things that happen at the runtime. So that's when you press play in the Unity editor or press, you know, or Java C dot, you know, go, <laughs> whatever it is, whatever language you're using, that's when you're actually running the program. And that's when those errors pop up. Yeah, guys, um, you can before identify, the build and after the build. Yeah, you can identify um, the compile time errors uh, in your IDE if you're using, uh, for example, Visual Studio or MonoDevelop because they will um, show them for you and they tell you, hey, you, you have this error. And actually, they will show in the error list uh, window. So those are the easiest to see because the IDE is doing it for you. Oh yeah, I missed I missed I missed another one uh, besides comp- compile time and runtime, which is this harkens to what Ryan mentioned earlier, and that's like your logic errors, um, logic bugs, and that's things that you know aren't really throwing an error in compile time, not necessarily throwing an error at runtime, uh, but are like impeding like or in or affecting the way your program should output a certain result. Just like Eduardo was saying, like it's not the expected result um, given like a certain input or yeah, certain input. So, yeah. And by that, you mean just a user error? Like making, yeah, just like user error. Stuff wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just clarifying. Well, it, could, yeah. <clears throat> it could be user error or something like, you know, the way you're calculating a hit volume is incorrect. And so it's like, hey, why is this thing not doing damage? I don't understand it. There's no error necessarily. It's just you don't know how to check, uh, you know, a volume of a sphere or, a, you know, a cube or something like that. So, yes. Which kind of gets us into some game dev specific bugs. Yeah, yes. talk about that. Yeah, there's, well, there's a lot of just sort of like visual and logical things happening in a game. And so, you know, there's a lot of very unique sort of errors you can have, sort of like visibility problems, like, you know, why can't I see this when I think I should? Or, you know, collision problems, why did that move through there? And uh, or just like, you know, sort of like I mentioned earlier, combat volumes, like not firing off or being the wrong calculation and your damage not applying. Um, so there, there's a lot of stuff in games like that that are just like sort of, there's a lot of information in in games in general. So visualizing that and also having the visuals of the game rendering creates just a whole field for games of bugs that just don't exist elsewhere. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's because well, so- you get a lot of, you get a lot of systems competing. Cause especially if you think about like an open world game or something, it's like you are making all these systems and each of those systems could have faulty logic or faulty, whatever errors in it. But 
way those things are interacting and way those things, and that actually makes it, you know, the reason that game dev specific ones are harder to test or because they're harder to test. It's like, you can't just run. Sometimes you can't run, you know, traditional tests and run down the line saying that's the expectant thing because it's like, it has to do with something walking freely in a 3d world, encountering this object at this weird angle. You know what I mean? And it's so hard to find those. I think that becomes a challenge. Yeah. Another thing that you guys kind of uh, made me think of is like when you're saying like the layering of different systems, that that's what kind of reminds me of like just third party software. Like your, your code could actually Mm. be fine, but you introduce some third party networking solution or some third party, you know, physics engine. And then, you know, your physics is not working correctly. And that may not be how you calculated it, but how the physics engine is running it. So then it could be something completely out of your control until you like, they put a bug fix or something like that. So, so it's just like a whole bunch of layers of systems that can introduce bugs into your game. Yeah, the more system, the, usually the rules, the more systems you have being the middleware or being the, your own game systems interacting, you're going to have problems, especially like you said, the middleware stuff we run into all the time is that it's like, it's nice to have nice, cool plugins off the asset store and other places, but the problem is they all have their own version, right? And especially if you wanted, like, say, put it on mobile, right? So mm-hmm. it's like sometimes that version doesn't, isn't compatible with the version of Unity, isn't compatible with the version of iOS or whatever. You're like, oh no, what am I doing here? Yeah, so, yeah because, because can, you guess, can you guess yeah. uh, what plugin I'm thinking right now? Obina? Um, Errors, <laughs> iOS. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I, I don't know. You said iOS. I was first. I was going to think. I was thinking scale form, but now you said scale form. <laughs> oh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had. I think we mentioned on that on our. Well, Eduardo wasn't into it as much as on our UI episode, but we've had really a lot of trouble with scale form. We know the scale form is the industry standard for UIs. You know, big studios, but the Unity integration's not great. Yeah. It has know. massive, massive. Uh, I guess memory leaks and stuff. As a, there, there's a there's an actual known issue on iOS where it doubles memory. It's not oh, even a leak; nice. it just doubles the memory. And that More is the better, only. Right? Yeah. And exactly. the latest post, the latest post about that on their forum was three years ago, and they said we're looking into it. <laughs> that was it. That was a tough one. So yeah. Yeah, Eduardo has scars from working with Scaleform. Oh, that's the God. case, though. Well, because that's the thing. It's like. This is a whole you get this whole big piece of software to help you because you don't want to spend a month, right? Two, three months, a years writing that, maybe you know. Mm-hmm. But if there's no support, like in that case, we had, or if there's just it's just weird, like you, so yeah, we always it feels like we're always like down in game developments. Like, that's true, but and that, that's another good thing is that that's when you also get into debugging, though. Like, even though right. scale form has this double memory leak on iOS. Uh, wait, I actually don't have a solution for that one, but you know, so well, you had some crazy. What, what did we do, Eduardo? We, I think we looked at it and we said, okay, well, if we're moving from a scale form scene to a unity scene, it wouldn't, wouldn't do any garbage collection. But if you went from a scale form scene to a scale form scene, it would actually dump the memory. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think we had to like make empty, um, I guess, video clips so that it would dump the the previous scenes uh, video, and then just load an empty one. So it took up. It still had that memory usage taken up, but we just we were switched, able to. We switched to Android. That's what we did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what we did for that project, there. <laughs> yeah, because I remember yeah. actually just a, a quick aside. I remember when I was working on a scale form project. I think 
like when I first encountered that memory leak issue uh, on, I think it was on on PC. I use I, that's when I actually used the Unity debugger or profiler to actually find that memory leak and find what function it was call, calling for. Um, so yeah, I mean, just like oh, okay, that kind of leads us into like the tools. Perfect segue, is what to say. It's the tools, tools we can debugging. use, yeah, for debugging. So yeah, for for one, I'll just talk a little bit about the. Unity profiler because actually for a while that wasn't available to everyone who had Unity. It was like it was just a pro feature only. But now you know since they went to this free model in five, it's been like a godsend for. I know I know most of the developers I know that are constantly using it to you know do performance checks or figure out like what's going on in their code. Um, and I think that helps really find a lot of bugs. Like even though your game may even work, run correctly. Uh, but maybe hitching at certain spots, I think that's when the profile really shines is for when you're looking towards performance to find other bugs in your code. Like maybe you're you're doing this 18 deep for loop or something like that, or you know, you're spawning multiple threads and you're not you should paralyze more <coughs> things. So I think that profile is where it really comes in comes in handy a lot when you're looking at performance based bugs. Yeah. Or at least yeah, performance highlighted bugs. Like- <clears throat> Like I've had situations where using that profile, you find out, oh, or the artist decided they wanted to use like a four gigabyte texture for somebody's shirt. And you're like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the profile is, is really texture. awesome. Not only for debugging, but also uh, to optimize your game. It's really good. I mean, uh, I'm, the profiler is like super, super in depth, but I mean, you could even use something as simple as like a frame rate counter. I use those in, in the project I'm currently working on. And I use it to just see which directions make me my frame rate drop. So I mean, it helps me out a lot in figuring out where where there, I have problems in geometry or or if I have too many characters clustered in one area. Gotcha. Yeah, and those are good like tools that are sort of more real time and lighter weight. Like because you know hooking yeah. up the profiler actually does affect the system because it's got you know tendrils deep into your into your application trying to measure all this. So you're not getting. So, you know, sometimes the most accurate runtime portrayal of your performance. I mean, it still helps a bunch. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, something is simpler, like a frame counter that's lighter weight and just says, hey, look, I'm dipping over here. Maybe you should hook up the profiler. You know, those are great to have before going into, like, full bore debug mode. Exactly. I like the tendrils deep. In yeah, the no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, made, you made it really busy. <laughs> Poetry. Yeah. I like that. Exactly. You guys are now you guys skipping over the, your uh, your favorite well, this is, yeah, we'll start with that, then go back to the original Visual Studio, right? I mean, there's other IDEs, but we're just going to talk about yeah. Visual Studio. The last favorite IDE. <laughs> oh, hey, I don't mind it. It just bugs you guys. It bugs the crap out of you guys that I don't use it. Speaking of bugs. Okay, sorry. That was oh, terrible. <laughs> but yeah, what uh, who's, who's, I know, right? Who's the best person <laughs> to talk about Visual Studio? I, I'm, I'm guessing Ryan. Ryan's Ryan, like Ryan. The, yeah, I love yeah, make it make a studio. case for Visual Studio for the developers who never used it before. Yeah, All right, true. so for the developers who never uh, used it before, it is just it integrates with about everything I've used. But more importantly, it's allowed me to have vision into a lot of different things. It's a very full-featured piece of development software. So if you're trying to debug threads, they've got a threading window that'll let you see what your threads are doing and their individual call stacks and like what's happening there. Um, you know, they've got memory windows which will actually let you like peer and cast like peek into memory and cast it and see what types they are and things like that um you know it integrates natively with unity now which is just fantastic because mono i'm sorry it was just crappy it just wasn't a great solution (laughs) Um, especially after using visual studio so i'm going to pitch again but um yeah it's just a very full featured uh um 
development tools. And then if you start adding on plugins like ReSharper, it allows you to navigate code very quickly. It allows you to say like, you know, just auto implement interfaces or at least the, the front end of them before you fill them out for an object. So it's just got a lot going for it that makes development much less of a hassle. And that's what you want is something that's just going to sort of lubricate the process and not get in the way. Say like, I'll help you create this thing and you won't even know I'm here most of the time. So I think Ryan, you're like a poet right now. You're, you're tendrils <laughs> yeah. and lubricating of the process. Lubricating really tendrils. Okay. What happened? Where are we? You had everybody, then you lost them there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's about me right there. Oh, that was great. Oh my God. I hate you. <laughs> well, here's a, here's a quick, just before we get into some of the stuff that those IDs do, especially visual studio. A pro tip, if you're on a Mac and you're stuck there and you can't use Visual Studio and you don't want to use Mono, download the Xamarin uh, yes. oh, editor. Xamarin code, yeah. Because basically they just sure. took Mono. It's like people used to do with Eclipse back in the day. You know, they build their own better version of Eclipse. But they basically used the Mono editor and made it much slicker and less. I haven't had any crashes whenever I used it. So that's a pro tip. If you have to use it, use the Xamarin version. It's free. Well, actually, there's a version of Visual Studio for Mac. It's called... Yeah. Uh, Visual Studio Code, sort of. It's not. Well, yeah, it's though, not right? like Visual Studio, but it's it's um uh really stable. It's kind of like their version of Sublime, basically, right? It's like no, it's it's gonna be better than Sublime, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but right now yeah. it's more like a text editor than anything else, right, or something. Mm-hmm. That's and what it I just mean. Just kind of knows so. about your code. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the features, maybe maybe of the breakpoints, assertions, all that stuff that people will find in those. Um, IDs. Yeah, got you. Uh, so yeah, breakpoints, like you said, is one of the, I think it's probably the biggest feature, the most used feature you'll find or you'll use in, a, in an IDE, no matter what IDE you use, whether it's Eclipse, Visual Studio, or Xamarin. And that's what they do is just basically put a break <laughs> in your code or wherever you're in the at runtime certain code. Points in your- yeah, at certain points <laughs> in your code. Exactly. So like if you're reading your code, it, it, so here, here's a, do I have like a best place to, okay, if we wanted to, I guess, I don't know if we a wanted loop. to. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, a loop is a good place. Like if you wanted to put yeah. something, a breakpoint inside a loop, that's like a br- the best, a good place to put it. And that, because what it does, it separates, because it gives you time to like stop of the ex- execution of the code without. It's basically like, like we- hitting the pause button in the Unity editor. Yes, but you exactly. get to you get to dig into the code right at that point. And you and pick it, the points where you pause it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the advantage of using a, a IDE like Visual Studio is, like uh, Ryan was saying, you have all these other windows, like you know, uh, local variable windows or memory windows or thread windows. Where at that point in code or execution, you could see like what this variable X is in code or at that time during your program's you know execution, and see that in the the local variable windows or the watch windows. Um, and then step through that code and see that as that, how that variable changed, when it changes. Because um, th- another thing about that is as you're stepping through, you could see like maybe there's another piece uh, in another function or another class that is modifying that variable. And you can see when that happens as it happens. So that's like where it really shines through. And you can see, oh, I didn't expect that to change at this point. And then that's you know, like that solves the problem or something like that. So, so yeah, breakpoints are like key, really key to debugging. I think that's where I usually just start. I just start tossing in breakpoints, uh, not randomly. Of course, we, we said there's a methodology. I think we'll get to that a little later, but you know, that's like where I would start. Those are the first features I use of my IDE when I'm debugging. Yeah. Before we continue, I'm glad Obina that you mentioned the watch window because, um, I feel like this is, uh, 
really important window that uh, many people might not use uh, too frequently because we have the local variable window with, uh, where we can see all the values of each variable. But what's cool about the watch window is that it allows you to enter the name of a variable and you can see uh, its value just like in the local variable window. But mm -hmm. uh, as a, differently than the local variable window, you don't have all the variables in, in of your method or class. You have only the ones that you want to see. So it's good if you're specifically um, looking for just certain values that you want to make sure they are right. Yeah. So, and, and, and like to add on to what he's saying is also you can, instead of just putting just a single variable, you could put in a whole like case state or a conditional statement. So like if, you know, X is less than, you know, my variable or my uh, integer or something like that, you could see like how that uh, equation or that uh, conditional statement evaluates to at, in during runtime. So that's another thing. So it's not just like a single variable or a single, you know, property of your class or object. You could see like how a, a certain statement evaluates during runtime. So that's really cool. And it could be any statement. It doesn't have to be something that's in your code. Cool. Of course. I, I have a question. Code. I have a question for you guys about Visual Studio. Does it auto format your code? Yes, you can get it yes, to do that. Yes. Yes. But what if you yes. don't want it to do that? Does it can you stop it? Yes, you can stop so it from I, helping you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what you're saying is you don't want it to make you a better. Well, person. the number of times my brackets have been rearranged in a code, like that's the one yeah. of the, the biggest reasons I actually Hashtag use Sublime. readability. Hashtag so, it works for me. Hey, no, yeah, sorry. Zach, 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 practically what you can do though, you can go into tools, options, and then go through yeah, your that, settings there. And it's actually got like white space and braces, and you can yeah, you can make formats. that whatever you want to your heart's degree, and it'll yeah, give that's, you a little preview what, of what it looks yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no, so, yeah, but, you can totally but, do that. Visual Studio uh, formats the code like you you like it. Okay, because yeah, you you, you use it like me, and I do it as in Visual Studio. So. Yeah, I, it was just something that that's different from like monodev, which monodev would just completely like re, <laughs> yeah. reorganize my code. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't move that there. And then like I'd leave the uh, that script and come back, and it would have reorganized everything. All my white space is gone. So that that's something that it, it might not sound applicable to our situation, but for me, white space helps me debug. So it, yeah, it allows cool. me to go through the code and read it much quick, much more quickly. A readability. So, well, and it's also a con yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's consistency too, because you don't want to be jumping all over the code and be like, oh, well, sometimes we format it this way, sometimes we format it that way. So if you go back to some of our stuff about coding standards in previous episodes, it's you know applicable to that. Yeah, I mean, if the line number keeps changing, I can't tell where something goes. You know, so I'm like, oh yeah, that that happened in line you know 170, and now all of a sudden it reorganized everything when I go back into it and now it's online 160 or something. So they're out to get you, Zach. That's weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, well, I run into all the weirdest issues you've ever seen in a computer. So yeah, never his fault. Yeah. Either, that, so again, that actually is a perfect time now to the next part. If we talk about tools, um, the, the, so if that's the, the section about tools and about like what, uh, you know, the technical things you can use and help you out with efficiency and the stuff that's gotten better over the time we've all been programming, you know, that's what's funny to think about sometimes to think about how far some of those tools have gone, especially those real time profilers. The other side of this is actually the methodologies like Abina mentioned about the things and preventative things. Like we just mentioned a couple right there, the things that you can do to 
all, no matter what tool you're using, always be uh, making it so where one, you're getting, you might get the, le- there might be, it's not really about, Brian and I talked about this earlier. It's not really about the least amount of bugs. Cause here's one thing we didn't really talk about. Bugs are going to happen all the time. Like don't like don't ever feel bad about that because that's unless just you're like Eduardo. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? I only, I, I have bugs too. <laughs> but I squash them in victory. <laughs> but, but all like, of them. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> but <laughs> kill them all. Uh, but but so it's, they they're just gonna happen and in good programming practices help prevent bugs to a certain extent, but. They're just going to happen no matter what. Even when you turn a game or you finish a thing, if you think it's the first release, once you get people playing it and more people, you're going to find things. And so they're, the best practices for debugging aren't necessarily about just good programming practices. They, these are kind of geared towards uh, – the preventative ones are geared towards – these are things that are going to ha- – they're almost help you guide the way through your debugging process, just like Zach mentioned just then, readability. So if you're writing that stuff and they said consistency, so if you're, you're writing your code and structuring it in a readable and a consistent way, and also with comments, that's the third one here, Yeah, that's going to help you when you have to start diving into your code, especially when you're diving into somebody else's code, like your partner's code, you're like, wait a second, what was happening here? Because really what it comes down to, no matter, you can try a bunch of quick fixes and I mean, that, that might save you a lot of times. It might be a typo that you catch immediately. It might be compile time bugs or whatever it is. You might catch stuff in that uh, local variable window. But sooner or later, you're just going to have to take a good old-fashioned deep dive into those things and walk through what's happening. And if that stuff is consistent and readable and commented well, it that's a difference between a couple of days and a few weeks. Of and and not out, just I commented think. well, but you, you should really name your variables well. I swear if I see another like variable just named X, like and I'm not talking like a local <laughs> variable, I'm talking like a public variable named X, I will like oh I'll freak. So yeah. Name your variables for what they're doing. Or what they are. Like, you know, this is my, what if it's an X? my you know, if it's an X, that's fine. But <laughs> yeah, what about the X axis? Oh my god, that Yeah, no, but if you're trying to name something like your your actual game index like something like x then you have no idea what that stands for so it's good to, yeah, that, good that to absolutely give specific yeah. and that ties into the consistent thing we've talked about before in best practices about it doesn't matter what it is as long as you're consistent with yourself or with whoever you're working with right. that you guys know i mean maybe they like to do it but I, so it's sometimes there aren't rules to that it's just rules between that you set of sta- that you've established at the beginning um, yeah. Another although, thing although that I think I oh, give me a, um, a second, Andrew. I think there, are two, <laughs> there are two exceptions to to that rule, and are the variables i and j in the for loops? Yeah, yeah, you no, know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Because, what about k? J. I never used j. Oh my god, Those I've used j before. Yeah, I j. Are. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah you have exponential like, yeah. algorithms. Whenever mm-hmm. I start nesting loops, I always use like X and Y for some reason. That's what we used to do when those graphics for everything. But what if you have like anyway. three, yeah, th- three that sometimes get gets Z. confusing because X, y, like then what if you inside those for loops you're you're editing say uh, positioning data then you then you get all confusing with X and Y. So I tend to try to stay away from X and Y as variable names. Mm, good idea. Yeah. Ooh, Jesus! So maybe that's my consistent method, Zach. Oh snap! Well, you're wrong. <laughs> well, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> 
right. Okay. All right. Another one is um that comes from other software things. It's like test driven development or unit testing stuff like that, like te- or incremental development stuff that you can do like as you develop your systems and your pieces that you don't just spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours programming and not really start testing and stuff that trying to make stuff iteratively where you can test little pieces of the system together, make sure they work. And so when you put them together, you know, if it's not working, that's the connection of relationships, what's not working. Right. Yeah, Have you guys had experience with that? Yeah. Like I think one thing that people are not, don't really do that often, especially like in game dev. Well, I, I, let me not speak for everybody, but I see it a lot in web dev and that's it. Like you said, test driven development or writing test cases as like, you write your code, as you write your code, yeah. before you write your code, and maybe after you, or after you write your code. But yeah, I've seen some people do it. They use that as requirements almost. Exactly. They're using that as the, the requirements. Then they write the method after they write the test case. Exactly. And that's like, that's when they say like going from red to green. It's like you write something that's, or going from, yeah, red to green. Or you're having something that works, or you know that should work. You know, given certain input, it should, you should get this certain output. And then running your, whatever you write through that function and making sure it does turn green. Um, that's a good way to say, okay, knowing that, knowing what I had for my features, this is, you know, this satisfies my requirements, this satisfies the features. And then in the future, if you edit and iterate on that function, it should still pass that test. So having those and that, tests. And, and, that, and, and we know we're obviously where we mentioned before in game dev, sometimes you can't do that, right? If there's yeah. a three, how does my 3D rain affect, you know, my character's power? Like some, but then there could be stuff when there's objects interacting, even in Unity, you could write test cases for all that stuff, you know? Yeah, so, especially, yeah. So, I mean, oh, I'm just saying that we, it's it, like in web dev and just plain old development, like networking or something. Yes, it's a black and white. You can write test cases for just about everything, but not always. I mean, not everybody. Anytime there's user input, that's when it becomes a problem. And the problem with games, it's all user input, right? So it's like sometimes it's hard to test the edge cases, and that's why you have to do that. The old fat. That's why there's QA departments, and they do that. They're the test cases, I guess. But even though you can't do it in all spots, try to do as much as you can, especially in the deeper yeah. systems, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. On the other one, the other one of the best practices for we we collected also. For, uh, Obina mentioned this, the book, the developers guide, or the debugging book, or their thirteen rules before, and they're, they they kind of go over the basics of this. So we can go over before we do that. The, the other big fun debugging thing is what I mentioned before. Our show got the same from it's from rubber butt rubber rubber duck debugging. That was easy for you to say. Thanks for it's ruining ru- our name. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But that's and so if you have never heard of rubber duck debugging, basically you know we have Patty. Is that the name of it? Yeah, Patty the Duck. We I don't think we ever officially. Yeah, I don't think we ever officially. Oh, Vina just made that up one day, and he just had this whole backstory, lever thing. Yeah, (laughs) that's fine. I just don't remember it. He has an Instagram, actually. Yeah. He really does. <laughs> he went deep into the background. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. One day we're, we're going to do a, We're going to get actual Patty the Ducks made and we're going to give them to people and they're going to send us yeah. pictures around the pictures world. Pictures of that. Exactly. That was, that was the idea behind them. But rubber All duck right. debugging, basically the idea is, is if, if you've had this situation happen to you, I'm sure you have before, where you're working on a problem and you just cannot get it. You've walked through the code <laughs> a thousand times. You don't know what is happening. And you're frustrated and you're venting. And then you go you go to your coworker, whoever you're working or your friend on an indie project. He's like, come look at this. And if to show the person the problem to illustrate, you have to explain the problem, right? And you have to walk through it again. But as you're walking through it and showing them what's wrong, you see the solution immediately. You're like, oh, never mind. I don't need you. That's the idea. And sometimes they say 
that happens just because you're approaching it objectively because you're trying to explain it to them objectively, I guess, you know, and that can be a lot of different reasons. You just took a break and you can see it again from a different uh, perspective. But so instead of bothering your coworker, <laughs> the idea of rubber duck debugging is that you just get a rubber duck or inanimate object of any kind and silly explain the thing to him or her. I, I will him, say, like though, you just, just you talking to the back of somebody's head might help, too, because the number of times I've asked Andrew for help and he's just sitting with his headphones on and I'm explaining it to him. I'm like, hmm, yeah. And I solve it and he's like, wait, you, you were you were saying something? I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. I got it. <laughs> so, I mean, if you don't have a rubber ducky available, you can just talk to the back of a coworker's head. That works too. <laughs> and it's a fun idea, but it also talks to the idea of stepping back, right? And not getting yeah. so lost in it that you need perspective on a problem. Yeah, that, yeah, that's actually just one of those general base or best practices. Just take breaks from your code. Like even if you are like in the zone for a while, like as soon as you have like a breaking or a stopping point where you're starting to think – or figure something new out in the in the problem, I would just like switch maybe switch gears and look at something different because it's it's kind of hard. Well, actually, we're talking specifically debugging, but it's 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 best to like take breaks between like certain <laughs> like give yourself maybe fifteen minutes. Sometimes like people, I think people have recommended like just timing yourself, like give yourself like ten minutes to solve this problem. And if you don't make any headway, then you know do something do something else or take a break or take a walk or something like that. So. Definitely yeah, take your subconscious is solving it while you're not doing it. Exactly. You're like I, I've gone to sleep and then woken up the next morning, like, oh, I know the answer to that problem, and then just go in there and fix it. So, yeah, today I was reading an article in the uh, Entrepreneur magazine that talked about that they they um, made a, a survey with a bunch of developers and they came up with this range of when is the best time to take a break. And they say that uh, developers are more productive when they work 57 minutes and then take a break of 15 or 20 minutes it's and then like the go back thing. to work. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. That's great. So, cool. Well, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Because Eduardo, you found this list. Let's go through some of these because the, just one by one, these uh, from the developer's guide to debugging because this book had a nice little 13 golden rules. And they kind of illustrate some of the stuff we talked about, but maybe stuff we've missed. So we'll start with number one. It says, understand the requirements. And that's kind of speaks to your stuff about like trying to, you, Eduardo, you talked about what is it supposed to do, right? Yeah. Before you start doing something, you need to know what you're going to do. So first understand the requirements and then um, write the code. And right. I, I, I like that point a lot. Because I, I've run into an instance where somebody's reviewing the the program that I'm working on, and they say, "Oh, well, this doesn't match. This is a bug." And I'm like, "No, see, you you're moving the requirements. So a, a change in requirements doesn't make what is happening a bug. It makes it a change in features. So like, people mistake, oh, well, uh, a maybe a feature for a bug because they didn't didn't understand the requirements." Yeah. Yeah. For Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. The next number two is make it fail, which uh, you don't need any help with that. But I, I do like the idea. <laughs> sometimes when it's, I've always had the, sometimes when I've programmed stuff, like when you start adding those systems, like, you know, they're going to fail. They're no, you know, there's going to be conflicts. And so it's just a process of, all right, well, because you, what you want to happen, like you mentioned before, being that you might have logic errors that aren't actually outputting anything. You don't, the last thing you want is silent errors. You kind of want stuff to fail loudly. 
so that you can actually follow that trail and like, well, I fixed that one up. Now I saw, now I found another one. There's that one. Like you kind of start making your way to the source and I can, so maybe that's what that one kind of refers to. Make it fail loudly. I'll add that to it, especially during development. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I definitely not, prefer things to be to catastrophic like that. I mean, it's I've seen cases where people try to catch the shit out of their code, and it just like sort of snowballs into this state of like, where the hell are we now? Because you know, it didn't just break at the first instance; it finally broke on the fifteenth, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, I have no idea what caused this because that was way in the past. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I like to do is so when I finish writing my code and I test and everything, then I say, okay. Let me try to break it. And I click everywhere and do things like, I don't know, a baby using the computer or smashing the keyboard <laughs> to see. Oh, yeah, that's it, a good point. Yeah, if anything happens uh, wrong, okay, my computer, my uh, my application is solid. Yeah. Yeah, your, pro- your program should really never fail from inputs. So you should always be able to handle every any input, input you get from your program. And I think that's what you would call a solid program. Yeah. Cool. All right. So number three is simplify the test case. And I think this speaks to what we talked about that TDD making smaller and smaller test cases for each, you know, is making test them as granular only, as yeah. you can. Test only right. one thing at a time, I guess. Yeah. And have those test mm-hmm. cases be like a series of green light, green light, green light, green light wow. that you're adding up to. And then you say mm-hmm. that system works, that system works, and not try to. I mean, you have yeah, to do it with game right. stuff, but not try to make it complicated, right? Yeah. All right. Um, number four is read the right error message. <laughs> Which, well, I think that applies to some multiple error messages. <laughs> yeah, I think well, actually, I, I think that I think this is a really good one because I feel like uh, sometimes when you're when you do get an error and you have, especially in Unity, you have like fifteen like law error right. logs that spit <laughs> the trace out. Trace yes, it's exactly. But stuff it's happening exactly. But it's really only referring like the problem only lies and maybe the top one or maybe the bottom one. Like it's just the initial point or maybe the end point. There's a problem. So you just need to, you know, find or, the. Yeah, sorry. E- even, even if it is, you find the right error in the unity uh, console, mm-hmm. the error might be not thrown by the very top layer of like, so it, it tells you the line number in the script that it throws it in. It may not be in the very top level of that. You might have to dig down three lines and see, Oh, well that's actually coming from this script. And it's passing what it, the error to this script, and then it's throwing the error here. So, because that can that can yeah that can cascade out from it's just it's just getting good at tracking down what actually happened. Because yeah. I mean, you could get these crazy statements of all your libraries, these no references and stuff, but you track down. It's like it could be because of the typo, and that typo tried to interact with some library that would accepted it, but didn't accept it as invalid input, but it put it into somewhere. You know, so you're going up the stack, and you really it was just you missed the I or something. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's what I did. So, um, number five is check the plug. Make sure it's plugged in. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, I mean that's obvious there. Okay, that's yeah. <laughs> we made it should have descriptions of these. I like figuring them out though. Like we <laughs> I guess yeah. Check the plug. Make sure you turned it on. Make sure we're like asking questions after each one. Number six is <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, 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 but this one, the five, the five before we go to the six one, the five is really good because for network uh, applications, oh, this yes. applies a lot. Check if you the need the Wi-Fi and you think, <laughs> oh, I have an error, I have an error, and you don't, that's you true. don't see. It. If you don't realize that you're not connected to the Wi-Fi, forget about it. You're not going to find the error. Or you're connected to your router, but you forgot to plug in the Ethernet cable. That happens. Yeah. 
It's usually all yeah, it's usually the obvious one. Restart your computer sometime. Um, yep. Because uh, okay, it's number six is separate facts from interpretation, and that yes. that can go down to just walking through that code, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what's happening from what you think is going to happen or what you think is because this can happen sometimes too. You can actually think something's happening, and that can color your a view of what is actually happening. You're like, I think it's actually doing this, and that's actually you know that error is not what's happening. But you're trying to look for it, and you're missing something else that's obvious. So it's a trap. Number seven is divide and conquer. That's a great one. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yes. That's so a really good one. this uh, the the methodology here is to try to find the the error as soon as possible, and by dividing your code, you can do that. So let's say you have an error in a a thousand line. Well, that's really bad. A hundred line script. Stop talking about my code now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about that. A hundred line um, (laughs) script. You say, okay, I'm going to put my breakpoint in the, well, a method uh, in the middle. So if you don't hit the the breakpoint, your error is from the middle to the to the beginning. So you you start dividing your code in a certain way that uh, you don't have to go through all, all of it. Yeah, so I think yeah, the way, yeah, the way you look at it is like um just knowing like knowing where you are starting where you from where you do know. Like if I know I get this log put output at this point, but I never get this log put or no log output, then you can just put a, a breakpoint at the start and then the end. So it's basically the bin- binary search, you know, approach to debugging yeah, uh-huh. and, and splitting your code up that way. And work, working backwards and working forward is another way. Is like, you know, you put a, the breakpoint at the start of your thousand line, at the end of your thousand line, then work your way, not a thousand line, but wherever you know where it starts and where it, when it doesn't stop. And then you work your way back towards the middle and that's where you're going to find your bug. So. It's, yeah. yeah, it's like taking those parts off. Like we, we and I have debugged stuff together before. It's like there's like eight different parts of that system. We're like, well, we have to take all those off of that one. That works. Okay, now add another back to it. All right, that yeah. works. Now add another. You start rebuilding it. Yeah. So cool. Uh, number eight is match the tool to the bug. We've already talked about that with like stuff like the profiler, which comes in really handy, or the breakpoints to what type of bug is, or the compiler ID does the compiler bugs for you. So that's great. Uh, number nine is one change at a time. That talks about what we just talked about, the divide and conquer a little bit, about as you're debugging, don't try to do eight steps and see it. You need to sometimes just got to be patient. Patience is the big key here. And just saying, no, <laughs> we have to sit here and increment and add these things again or walk and, through it, right? That, and that's sometimes correct. that can get really, really rough, especially when you're, say, you're building an iOS uh, app and it only ever occurs on the iPad. Um, that it can get rough and then take like 15, 20 minutes for each build. But I'll tell you, it, it helps a lot because if you finally change something and something else breaks, then you're like, wait, I've, I've made 10 changes. I have no idea what I just did. And you yeah, have to go think, undo all of those. And I think like the, the pre- preventative way or the approach to this is what I think Andrew used to talk about a lot in our previous episodes. And that's just like how he develops, you know, his programs now is that instead of like putting a whole system in and all one, you know, one sit down is to break up the system into pieces and, and, you know, implement it and then test it and implement the next piece and then test it. And that's like almost the same one change at a time, but this is during implementation, which also helps reduce, you know, that, you know, the, uh, the possibility of having to go through this crazy debug train of, you know, thousand line codes of a system. So, right. 
Yeah, one so, one good practice of game development is to separate your application in layers, so you know what to what to expect from from each layer, like the data layer or networking layer, input things like that, and the the rest of your code uh, doesn't have to do anything with uh, what you're testing at the moment. You know that that part is safe, so you identify the the error. Yeah, very good, very good. All right, and number 10 is keep an audit trail, and that actually ties in right into that one. It says you're doing that one change of time or doing those steps or walking back through it or walking through an implementation. Keep a trail of that. You know, keep it there like, all right, I tried that. We did that. I mean, sometimes that can be in your head, but just get grab a whiteboard and, or do what, you know, uh, Eduardo does with his programming journals. Just write it down. Yeah, I So prefer- you know what you did. Yeah, I actually prefer writing it down to keeping it in your head because there's yeah, yeah, yeah. there's some problems you're going to run into, debugging problems where, you know, it can be kept all in your head and it's like only a, a five, you know, you only takes you five times to figure it out. But some some problems will take you like a whole day and that's like 80 different ways of trying to solve this problem. And it, you're, it's impossible for you to keep all 80 ways that you tried and things that you may have changed that were like part of the solution, but you maybe, you know, deleted it the next time you tried a, a different solution. And then you, you're, you're keeping going in circles by, by not keeping the audit trail. So that's why. Yeah, the, diff- problem, the problem with, with bugs and stuff like that when you work too much is that you're so tired of seeing the same thing that you might not see the error. Uh, really quick, or you think you have an error uh, and you don't, but you're miscalculating something in your head and uh, you th- your computer is giving you the, the right value, but let's say you have a complicated uh, calculation to do. You did it wrong and your computer is giving you the right value and you're like, oh no, this is wrong, this is wrong. And when you do it again, you say, oh no, the computer is right, I'm wrong. That happens. Right. So it's always good to have that in my memory. And also over weeks, if this is a bug, if these things last, like I said, over, over time, it's helpful just to point it. So point to something because you're not going to remember that stuff. Um, 11 is talk is get a fresh view. That kind of speaks to our rubber duck debugging one. That's basically what that one's all about. You know, it's taking a step back and explaining it to somebody or looking at it objectively after a period of time. Um, Number 12, I love. If you didn't fix it, it ain't fixed. <laughs> Band-aids are everything, though. What? I said Band-aids are everything, though. Well, this isn't even about that. This is about it just you shifting something else and the other problem not happening anymore. I would think and you're like, <laughs> okay, it's worked. Ship it. You're like, mm-hmm. nope, it's going to come back. Because even though <laughs> it, it's like that's the – everybody, that's the dreaded fear of all programmers is like – a. An error that you can't actually recreate, right? Something quote unquote fixing itself. Yeah, because it's, yeah, yeah it's, you can't make mm. it happen again. So then you, that could be hours or, you know, frustrating the hours trying to figure out, get it to happen. But I mean, and sometimes I don't know, is it inevitable sometimes that some of those have to kind of go out in the world and until you can run into it and get enough data about it? Yeah, I, I think that's that's inevitable. I think that's why yeah. you see people have patches because that, that's what happens. Right. It's not like they well, because once you have a million users testing it, you're going to exact, find that it's a different different ball game. So, so yes. that one's not a rule. It's just be aware that it's not fixed yet. That's going to come back to bite you, even though you haven't you haven't tracked it down yet. Um, 
And number 13, kind of going into that with the patches, like you just said, is cover your bug fix with a regression test. And I think this one's so applicable to game development because, like we said, it's so many systems on top of systems and systems fighting systems that you add, like, oh, we added this. This is not even just for bug fixes, right? This is, like, for new features, right? Or, like, I added a new gun and it broke everything else across the world. Or I fixed this bug and it created giant zombie monsters throughout my world. So I don't know why that <laughs> yeah, it happens. What are, what are some, do you guys know some good like methods for regression testing with game development specifically? I mean, does it have to be QA stuff or can it, I guess it, I don't know. What are you guys? I, I think, I think the, uh, yeah, I think it's, it, it would, I guess, technically fall with, you know, the QA realm, but I think that's where, you know, our TDD conversation that we had is just having those tests written. And True, that's like, yeah. you always run those tests after you finish a feature or after you do this, you know, system, just run that test against what you, you know, I, the ideal of, of case for that system. And that, that would be your form of regression testing for whatever any, you know, additional feature you may have added. Right, right. Cool. So those are the 13. Ryan added a 14 one called Do It Pantless. <laughs> Yes, pantsless. <laughs> Get comfortable. There you Eduardo go. tried to rush and delete it before you said it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's there. It's oh, like, no, now, Embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, whatever gets the job done. It was there. I read it. <laughs> All right. Before we go tonight, that was debugging. Um, again, we've, we've, we we talked about it. It, it kind of comes up at all the de- best practices discussions we have, but hopefully this is just a good overview and hopefully with those 13 tips and also some of the tools we talked about and methodologies, they can help you get started. And this is like a primer for debugging. And we'll dive into further, you know, do some articles in the future and other things that are dive into these specific uh, topics. So before we go tonight, it's time is it time? Is it that time? It's that time. It's that yes. time. Game of the week. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> nice. Tonight, what is the game of the week tonight, Zach? It is Pilotier. Um, it used to be free. I think the the first it's time not we free tried right now. Yeah, the first time we tried to quit, <laughs> it was free, but it is no longer free. Um, it is. Uh, the only way I could think of describing it is it's a new version of Flappy Bird for me. Um, it's it's like a, a one of those like see how far you can get or, or do these challenges and try to keep getting further and further and further. And uh, it's it's gotten I'm kind of addicted to it at the moment. I have it both on iPad and on iPhone. Uh, but you use um, your, your two thumbs, so you have your your forward and your backwards thrust. And if you hit them both at the same time, you should go straight up and I say should because sometimes you you'll it it measures I guess which thumb hit first and then that's kind of the direction I'll lean you to so you have to really be careful on which one you push down first but you'll try to do like uh, okay race to reach this certain point while flying in your jetpack or uh, try to do two front flips and land on your feet uh, but <coughs> it, it's rather cool and in, um, I was having a conversation with uh, I can't I don't remember who, but somebody at work about uh, whether his it was, name Eduardo. It was either Eduardo or Deanna. I can't remember, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But it was somebody was saying, "Well, not very many things are shipped with the free version of Unity, with the personal version of Unity." And something I noticed with this game is when you launch it, it comes up with the "Made with Unity" personal edition at the bottom. Uh, so it, it's one of those games that was made with the free version of Unity. So Hello, I thought that was rather rather unique. Yeah. 
Well, that happens more and more. And I've seen a bunch of games now because now that it is just a services layer, you know, you yep. can do anything. So very cool. And that's why Fixed Point Productions get it. I think it's two ninety nine yep. on iOS. I don't know what it is on Android. So probably the same. All right. So that was the show tonight. If you want to have a question, you have a question or comment or not a criticism, <laughs> send it to the debug, <laughs> the debug log at gmail.com. Um, if you want to talk to us on a day-to-day basis, the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. It's called the Debug Lounge. Uh, that's where all the developers. We've had a lot of interaction there lately, which is really fun. We've been getting. We started doing a thing where we get questions or talk about different topics and other stuff, um, and we address some of those ones tonight. But <laughs> the best way to join the Debug Lounge is go to our website, thedebuglog.com, and sign up for our newsletter, The Loop. And we, from there, uh, Eduardo will sign you up for the lounge, or you can just look, search for it on Facebook. But getting more and more people every week, it's fun. Yes, sir. And on Twitter, I am at Andrew underscore Curry. That's C-U-R-R-I-E. I am at O-Beans. That's O with an H, Beans with a Z. And I'm at R-E Kilgore. That's R as in Ryan, E as in Edward, and that's my whole name, Kilgore. So. <laughs> Delta, Epsilon, Charlie, Epsilon. Yeah, exactly. So what would that be, yeah. Romeo, Echo, uh, yeah. Kilgore? <laughs> well, mine is Eduardo CF, 1989. Awesome. All right, guys. Is that yours? Hey, I don't have one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, until <laughs> next time, my name's Andrew. <laughs> I'm Abina. I'm Zach. I'm Ryan. And I'm Eduardo. And we'll see you later. I think you laughed over my damn outro. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm like, haha, I saw you serve him. There's no Vino on this show him. anymore. It's just my laughter. Every time you talk, it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's crumb or whatever. Oh, yeah. So it's just crumb. Hell yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Are you calling right. beans Java then? <laughs>